You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattlesnake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy. And a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food... And music... And comedy... And sports... Inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Denver, Denver, Denver. Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most barrel-aged city between Lynchburg, Tennessee, and Old Bushmills. I am Joel Warner, and joining me today is my co-host, Ron Doyle. Hey, Ron. Hi there. And we are at a very special location. We're at the Rack House Pub at Stranahan's Colorado Whiskey Distillery. We are here to learn all about Colorado's craft spirits industry, which will be celebrated next month at the third annual Colorado uh, Distillers Festival. To talk about it, we have uh, Chris Rippey owner of the Rack House and founder of the festival. How's it going, Chris? Fabulous. Awesome. And Josh Michelle, festival organizer, and for some reason went on a cross-state booze-soaked adventure to spread the word about the festival. We're going to hear all about it. Um, so let's, let's uh, get into it. And I have to say, it kind of feels like one of those Reading Rainbow uh, episodes <laughs> where... Uh, who's the co-host? Who, what was the guy? <laughs> Um, oh, LeVar Burton. Yeah, yes. well, LeVar Burton would like go to the fire station to learn about like <laughs> firefighters. But here we are on like a you know, reading rainbow-inspired uh, podcast to drink booze. We're actually and the then at the end, those firefighters have to go places. Because <laughs> you, you guys drink too much whiskey and light things on fire. At the end of the podcast, we will be recommending three books. <laughs> if you enjoy whiskey... You'll like these books too. I do. I do feel like we should have done some prep work and uh, got the got the the video or the audio into Reading Rainbow, the song. Oh my god! Do, 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 do. I can fly twice as high. Yeah, can we do that in post? <laughs> yeah, we can. We can do some post magic. Uh, speaking of drinking whiskey, should we drink some? Yeah, that would probably be a pretty good idea. We've got okay. a, a spread of booze in front of us. Uh, I guess let's start with which is which which looks. Downright horrible. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. It's unprofessional. A, it's a really tough job sometimes <laughs> to have to drink uh, alcohol for work. Yes. But, you know, some, you just have to soldier through it, you know, and, and know that it's, it's for the betterment of your job. Yes. So what shall we start with, Josh? We're going to start with the Peach Street Distillers, Colorado Straight Bourbon. It's a distillery out in Palisade, Colorado, out on the Western Slope. And uh, I visited there on part of a long road trip i did uh, 12 distilleries in seven days we logged 1300 miles we visit we didn't stay in the same place uh for more than one night except for once uh two different states we only drove about 35 miles on the same road so um yeah so so, so, that's, so this is yeah peach, peach street makes a, a colorado straight bourbon it's um it's, uh, aged for 
Oh, that. oh yeah, that's nice. Uh, so it's aged for um, minimum of two years. Uh, I got to hang out with the distiller, the head distiller. is a guy named Davey. He's super laid back. You, nice want to, guy. you guys are going to have some too? Yeah, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Pass we'll, it around. we'll probably have some of that. I think it, the alcohol probably kills most of the germs that we're spreading around at this point. I don't have any germs. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, none. It's lovely. It's, it's lovely. It's really nice. Is it actually, so is Peach Street actually on Peach Street? Or is it just a... It's actually on Klug Avenue. I don't know how you pronounce that, really. But originally, that's where the name came from, that so, it was on Peach Street. So Peach Street is one of how many distilleries here? Uh, according, they, to the or, T, according to the TTB, which is the governmental organization that gives permits to distilleries, there are about 45 permitted distilleries. But that does not mean... In Colorado. That, in the state, correct. We've okay. got the fifth most um, in terms of permits. Of, in of Denver? Any, uh, in Colorado has the fifth most number of distilleries. Oh, okay. California has the most, but they also have ten times more people than us. Um, so I think there's probably in the neighborhood of 30 to 35 functioning distilleries right oh. now. So, okay, so let's talk about why and talk about how this started. I mean, the fifth place isn't, isn't too shabby. You know? It's pretty good. And it's I don't a, think, you know, I think obviously most people think of craft beer and not craft spirits when they think of Colorado. So when and how did this kind of little mini booze explosion happen? Um, you know, obviously Prohibition was, you know, 80 years ago. And it went, we went from 2,800 breweries to eight or something or ten. I don't remember. Chris probably I know knows. all about it. I watched Boardwalk Empire. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's <laughs> my favorite. That's one of my favorite documentaries. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. History is so true. Um, so, so it's still illegal to distill spirits at home. Uh, in 1979, Jimmy Carter signed a law that basically changed the way beer is taxed, and it allows people to brew at home. And that's why breweries started to pop up in the 80s. And uh, there was a, a beer explosion, and um, you know there are now 180 breweries in Colorado. A lot of the brewery distillery owners were previous uh, brewers. The guy who owned Spirit Hound Distillers and Lions was the original brewer for Oscar Blues. He was apparently, the story he told me is he was the first, he was, he told Oscar Blues to start brewing beer, in fact. So he's got a distillery wow. now. Um, and the same thing with Stranahan's, right? Yes. Yeah, so Stranahan started, um, I guess Chris, maybe he's probably got some insight on this. Chris is already drunk. He's not talking uh, anymore. Yeah. You <laughs> want to go back to sleep. That's fine. <laughs> um, well... Yes, yes and no. Um, it was created in a partnership with the original founders of Flying Dog Brewery. Um, George Stranahan founded Flying Dog Brewery. He was after, also who the distillery is named after. Um, Jess Graber, who's the, the was the majority owner and uh, um, founder of, of the distillery, was a volunteer firefighter. George's barn caught on fire. Jess went to basically put the fire out, and George had a leftover keg of a, a beer called Road Dog uh, that Flying Dog used to make. It was a porter, and uh, had it in his in his in the barn that caught on fire. And rather than <laughs> toss it out, Jess was like, "Well, can I take this and distill it?" And that's kind of how they developed this whole concept of the partnership. And then, and then uh, Jess in 2009 was able to move to this facility after he had originally contracted brewers to make their wash for them rather than produce it himself um, because brewers can make a food-grade product, whereas up until that point, a lot of the tradition from the distilleries was 
kind of get a big vat, you ferment it, throw it in the still, because after you distill it, it gets all the impurities out. And his concept was get this food-grade product. It's kind of like garbage in, garbage out philosophy. The better stuff you're putting in the still, the better spirit you're going to get out. And so that's where the contracting it with the, the brewery came into play. And uh, then he was able to take over the space that used to be the Heavenly Days Brewery, where it had all its own brewing equipment, and now he could make produce the same product under the roof of his own. So... Basically, is it that Colorado's now growing kind of craft spirits industry is kind of a direct descendant of the craft beer industry? Do you do they really well, go I hand mean, in hand? If, if we're going to make that argument, then we also got to make the argument that the craft beer industry is a direct descendant of the craft wine industry in almost all states, um, not just not just but California, Colorado. So I I, I, I just think the timing wise. Um, you know, the birth of craft brewing was the early 80s. The birth of, I think, most of the smaller vineyards and a lot of the states started in the early 70s, late 60s, yeah. early 70s. If you, I don't know as much about that industry, but I think it was just natural progression um, for, for the product to kind of go through spirits industry to kind of go through its own rebirth. Um, and you see where I don't if you don't look at the map that craft brewers do well in. Our craft distillers are growing rapidly in. It's the same map that craft breweries are exploding in. It's also the same state that all like to smoke a ton of weed. I don't know. So is it just that? Yeah. So basically, <laughs> it's the places that people just like to drink and do a lot of drugs. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Is it, is it a matter of? Yeah. Because that's my question. Is is this a matter of it's just trendy right now to drink? Well, or or is it or I, is it a matter of that certain states have better laws? I th- for this sort of thing? Because it seems like craft, brewer, craft beer is happening everywhere. Well, all 50 states. I think the connection is liberal states tend okay. to have able to get some more liberal, you know, you throw Colorado Springs and Pueblo out and Colorado, it, it's whole. We can throw them out. That's fine. You take, you, take, <laughs> you, take, you take the population base in the mountains and Colorado is a very, very liberal state. Same with Oregon, Washington, you know, California. And... So in those states, you tend to get legislation to move in a more liberal direction, not only with with uh, liquor laws, but also medical marijuana laws, um, those all, all those sorts of things. And so I think it just all works together to create an environment. And not to mention a lot of these Western states really, other than like, but you look at the Northeast, there's a lot of it too. There's a lot of New York distilleries. Um, so I think it's... It's more of a, a turn towards producing small-scale, local. That's, I think that's more of the, the revolution than it being spirits or beer-based or whatever. I think it's people really trying to acknowledge that they want to go back to knowing who makes the stuff they put in their bodies. So it's part of the locavore movement. Yes. Part of that whole, let's, let's get closer to home with what, or like we're, the what Richard, we're consuming. Or the Richard Florida kind of rise of the creative class. Yeah, that too. Thing. Sure. I yeah. kind of want to start the Boozevore movement, which I think I just am going to register the domain before. I just did, out. actually. I just so did it. Just <laughs> yeah, it's I've already gotten. I'm already, I've already tweeted like 17 tweets from that. Right. I mean, the, way, the way I see it is that uh, yeah, at Boozevore. <laughs> sounds like a sweet dinosaur, too, when you get yeah. down to it. Boozevore. Oh, no. Here comes the Boozevore. Oh, we don't need to worry about that guy. So, um, He's taking a nap over so, I mean, by the palm really, trees. I think prohibition was really the big thing, right? So there were, there were a th- Two, over 2,000 breweries before that, after Prohibition, the only the people who could essentially just not, they could just shut their brewery down and whatever, they came back and then there were 
a very small number, and now we're starting to get more breweries at the the pre-prohibition numbers. We just went past them now, so there's you know I actually predict I'm predicting the end of regional breweries as we know it because what's the point if everyone likes local stuff? You know, if local products. So it would be national things. and local. So, so I, you I think, just predicted the end of regional. Yeah, yeah. Brewery. I'm on record. Uh, regional now. craft brewery. So, it's on Wikipedia. So what now, was so. so what was kind of the point where the craft spirit industry here in Colorado really, really kind of started moving? Was it, I mean, was it the foundation of Stranahan's and all of a sudden all those other folks saw right, yeah, about its success? 2004-ish is when these people started to pop up and, and it was, you know, Stranahan's, um, people like Downslope Distilling or some old timers, uh, Peach Street as well was around. And- but I think, I think you really can make the statement that Stranahan's really led that whole thing. People saw what he accomplished in such a very short period of time. You know, Peachtree started producing only a year after-ish, but, I mean, I think they're still... Stranahan's is still the mark of of what it can be success-wise, just their what they've they've achieved volume, um, an actual sellable volume, you know, to the public. I was talking to their head distiller this afternoon. I just did my 18th distillery visit there. And uh, when he started, when we were at the old location, Chris and I used to work for Flying Dog Brewery. So we are very well acquainted with the beginning of Stranahan's. And um, they were making three barrels a week. And, and he told me when they hit three barrels a week, they were all high-fiving, you know, finished product. Uh, he, he told me now they do 50 barrels a week. So, oh, God. Um, so uh, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think that... Uh, whiskey is still a, a very fairly young uh, booze in the state because um, it needs age. It needs age. Um, you, you you brew your your wash and you distill it and you throw it in the barrels when it's it's basically high octane ethanol. And it, it takes a and long by time law, to, I mean, to round. It has to be at least two years old, right? To be a bourbon, it does. To be bur- okay. But. Well. Straight and a straight, whiskey. a straight whiskey. Excuse me, bourbon has a different rules, and I don't really care about rules. But um, <laughs> I doesn't. I doesn't yeah, uh, Josh has ripped off all his clothes. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do. I sell crack to children. And stuff. It's, I have no morals. I've um, seen it. Yeah, yeah. So um, got a witness. I probably lost like five clients just there. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it takes a long time to age. A lot of these br- distilleries are new. In the last three or four years, they're starting to pop up, and they're popping up in towns that you've been to. Uh, Crested Butte, um, Lions, Boulder, Breckenridge. Palisade, Breckenridge. Silverton. Are we seeing yeah, Colorado Springs? Be- beyond Denver, anymore, are we seeing no? certain hotspots? Yeah, Denver is a, is a hotspot. Are there um, any kind of surprising places that's really taking off? Uh, I mean, taking off is a hard thing to answer. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's there's there's one in Golden I haven't been to yet called Golden Moon. I've heard it's amazing, but mm. there are a few um, in Boulder that are near each other. There are a few in Loveland that are near each other, and I'm actually going there in a few weeks. Uh, Dancing Pines, and um, so I mean, and so I mean, I I think folks have folks have references that you know, kind of the, kind of this. The craft spirit industry in Colorado is where the craft beer industry was 30 years ago. Absolutely. But what does that mean? I mean, can you really compare the two? I mean, are there real similarities or are there real differences between, you know, what, from what Colorado is now known for, which is this craft beer and this kind of now burgeoning craft spirit scene? 
Yeah, because there's a ma- there's a major difference. I mean, you can you can put out beer so much faster than you can put out booze, well, and the startup cost. Not true. You can put out beer faster. You can put out whiskey, but right. vodka. I mean, right. you can make it faster than you can make beer. So, okay. so I mean, I think. I just I, I think it's the evolution. I mean, if we were to sit down twenty years from now, I think you have eighty craft distillers in the state of Colorado, if not more. Just like you have a hunt, probably yeah. If you were to follow the same timeline, you know, you it go ebbs and flows. And I think right now we're in this upward scaling of the brewing industry and of the distilling industry at the same time. There's going to be shakeout. There's going to be places that close. It really is going to ultimately come down to product. But if you know, every town can have, you know, its local butcher, grocer. Why can't it have its local distiller, brewer, baker? And and so I, what happens is they, everybody gets more organized. You know, the, the benefit, the, the Distillers Festival benefits the Colorado Distillers Guild. And you'll see that organization slowly actually form into uh, a, a more organized group of of people looking to benefit the industry much like you see with the colorado brewers guild now and and or you see in some of the other states who have been you know a little more well put have have started a little earlier you know i think i know california's distiller guild is is much more organized than the colorado one how old is is the colorado distiller guild i think they i think it was oh seven or oh eight i'd have to look i don't know that was a baby just a little. Yeah. And I mean, essentially, is it, do we see all types of spirits now being made in Colorado? Oh, yeah. I On my trip, I had whiskey. I had vodka and eau de vies, right? And eau de vie is like a flavored whiskey. I just, or, or vodka. I mean, I just like to call it <clears throat> vodka, um, personally. Uh, gins and rums. There's a distillery in Mancus, Colorado called Mancus Valley Distilling. He makes a, a, a clear rum and a spice rum. He, he says, I just love to make boat drinks, you know, but people make brandies. They, they do all of this stuff. Um, and there's a really, they're all different. You know, on, on my trip, I said, oh, well, you know, this one's going to be the letdown distillery. And they're all different in their own right. Every distiller is eccentric in his own way. They're all pretty knowledgeable. Um, it's all been pretty good. It's, it's all been wildly, it's been wildly is there any, amazing. Is there any mezcal? being made there are some agaves so some, the, some the agaves, rules are right, the, right you right, can't right. call it a tequila unless it's well, made richard, well richard tequila region richard betts are, is doing some of the mezcal stuff or starting to but i mean he's not growing right. it here he's i think he's shipping sure. it up yeah here there are some agaves um one that Dagave i had from peach yeah Street. it's agave from peach street is is really good um there's one in uh trail town still has one and they're in ridgeway um the assistant distiller at Montana Rum in Crested Butte, she is a, a drinker, I think is a pretty safe to say. Uh, and uh, her name's <laughs> Are Renee. you saying that as a compliment or you think yeah, as a no, warning? I think if you're a distiller and you don't drink, I think you're, people think you're trying to poison them. So uh, I ripped that out of a movie, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are there, there's everything. And it's, you know, and, and distillers are doing flavored vodkas for behind their bar. I had this one from. Uh, Woody Creek Distillers and Basalt that was a pepper vodka and it was the spiciest thing I've ever had. Oh my we, God. There was like no water to be found anywhere and I was like <laughs> dying. I took a little sip. Um, but it would go awesome in a cocktail. You know, there's, yeah. and that's, 
that's the thing I, I like about it too is you can you can sample these straight, but there are an infinite number of cocktails you can make. And do we have any of the non whiskey here in our on our plate? Yeah, what's, what's next? We do. Uh, what do we have? So, yeah, Ron's been just eyeing. Yeah, he's. I can tell the samples. I can tell. <laughs> it's summer. <laughs> I'm thirsty. The shakes are going away quicker quickly. <laughs> so. Uh, I guess next is Rob's Mountain Gin, I guess, we okay. can sample. So uh, that's made by... Rob. Yeah, by Rob, in fact. <laughs> Imagine uh, that. And Rob so, with one B or two? Just one. Just yeah. One. <laughs> so, Cheers. Uh, <laughs> I love the sound effects. That's our sound effects right there. There yeah. you go. I like that it's like the real sound effect. You know, it's not a guy in some booth, you know, making it with we a did shoe not, or We something. did not hit a button oh. or, or drop in any sort of... Right. I usually, I usually, That's I usually, completely different than straight. what I expect from gin. Yeah, I, I usually don't. I don't drink straight gin. No, unless something's really, maybe really <laughs> bad. <laughs> I'm maybe wrong. It's time to but start. But this is this is this is this is this is drinkable straight. Yeah, unless I'm questioning my own existence, I don't ever drink gin by itself. So like only like once a week or so. <laughs> Chris, have some. That's my Rob's gin. I will have some more. Yeah, so, <laughs> more. so Rob's Mountain Gin is made by this guy, Rob Masters, and he owns, uh, or he's uh, the head distiller at Spring 44 in Loveland, and he's also the president of the Distillers Guild, the Colorado Distillers Guild, and uh, he's an exceptional fellow. I, I really like him. He's helped us out a lot. Um, very, very good at what he does. Um, I'm going to sample this now, so... Yeah. So you can talk w- while you drink gin. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, gin's also one of those other products that's similar to vodka. To kind of go back to the other conversation about the time dedication it takes to make right. proper whiskey. Um, a lot of these distillers you'll see in the timeline, the products they put out kind of fill the timeline of, of, of what it takes to make an individual uh, spirit. You know, So they'll start typically with vodkas and gins, um, and then... You'll see maybe some rums or whiskeys a few years later, stuff that has to spend time in an air, barrel and age, or some of them have doing barrel-aged gins. Um, uh, really? Barrel-aged yeah. gin? Yeah. Roundhouse, Roundhouse, right? Yeah, from Boulder. Yeah, they They're make doing this it. phenomenal barrel-aged gin. I can't imagine what that would taste like, because I feel like gin is something that usually has this really kind so of So imagine shock. gin. Basically, you guys couldn't see this. Josh just like snapped his fingers. I did that. I did the thumbs that direction. Somebody, somebody ran away. To I assume to go yeah. get us barrel aged gin. Of our, one of our bartenders <laughs> he, at the rack house. Yeah, he Boy, if I had he a, stuck his thumb I mean, in the if air. If I only had a hundred dollar bill right now, that would be lovely. I'll take five twenties. Okay. So that's fine. <laughs> um, no, while Rachel is one of our bartenders, she's watching us, and, and she's help, she's one of the the co organizers yeah, yeah. of the the, the she, Stillers Festival. She was already getting up, so oh I my god, actually was the jerk who went and, and here it is stuck my thumb out and made her go. So, she was so this going. is gin, even though it looks like a whiskey. Yes. This is right. this is so, so they, they make gin, right, with a with a wow. column still mm. and a little pot oh, that's, of that's botanicals. That's very interesting. Yeah. When they're done with it, they uh, throw it in a barrel and age it for a while. Have you ever had the Vu Carré? I don't even know Have what you ever had a Vu Carré before? No. This is a very similar uh, that's simmer scent. That's really fascinating. It's awesome. And wow. t- And Ted, who's the, the owner and distiller awesome. up at Roundhouse, is, will one of the smartest distillers I've ever met. One of the nicest guys. He uh, told me he had the eighth dis- licensed distillery in California. So he's been doing it for a long time, and he was a brewer before that. So, so you would, would you just have us over rocks? Because I can't imagine you put this in, like, No, I would, not, I would not put tonic water with that. Yeah. No, well, it, would, it would not do I it mean, justice. 
spirits, it's... I tell people drink it however you want. You okay, know, yeah, that's you a good point. Make a cocktail or drink it straight. You know, I always tell people if you're gonna, you know, whiskey's a good example. If you're gonna put a bunch of sugar, water, like Coke in it, you know, I I would choose less expensive whiskey because there's no point in ruining <laughs> yeah. something that costs a lot by dumping a bunch of sugar water in it. But at the same time, you know, not tonic, but a little bit of soda water, a couple drops of water, you know. Uh, but there's also a whole bunch of really basic classic cocktails that you can still get the essence of a, 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 a booze or liquor or spirits or so whatever what, you want to call so it. So what's your favorite kind of cocktail to really showcase the, the liquor? That kind of accentuates I, it as opposed to just kind of drowns I'm it. I'm a big fan of just a, a classic like old-fashioned you know, which is a whiskey the, cocktail. The old, old-fashioned. I, I, yeah, I predominantly just... I'm predominantly a whiskey drinker, you know, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely... And I think my bartenders will agree with this. Every time we put together a drink menu here, I'm constantly uh, going, yeah, I don't really like this. It's too sweet. <laughs> and, um, but so I, I, I tend to pick stuff, you know, either just on the milder side or, or the tartar versus sweeter. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. there's a tendency to over sugar a lot of stuff mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> i mean so let's talk about kind of i know i know that the craft beer industry loves talking about the economic impact that it has all the jobs and the tourism i mean are we seeing any of that yet here are we seeing any potential kind of kind of tourism ideas kind of like taking this kind of around the country Did you say around? terrorism ideas terrorism. terrorism i don't do anything with that <laughs> yeah you just you just, you just all crack to small children as you said earlier, <laughs> right, right. Well, that's domestic yeah. terrorism. But I mean, that's got a different name. Are we seeing real impact beyond, say, Stranahan's so, with, the, with the industry? Absolutely. At this point? Uh, a lot of these distilleries are small operations still. They're just getting off the ground. Uh, they only have a couple employees, or it's a husband and a wife, and someone who bartends every once in a while. But Peach Street Distillers in, in Palisade has a, has a big compound with a big operation. They got a. They got a vibrant tasting room it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal place and and if you like drinking that is a must go but stop because uh, on the same street there's there's peach street distillers which is they won distillery of the year last year or the year before uh next to them is a winery and across the street well down the street is the palisade brewery so you could get plowed on three different kinds of booze, whatever, whatever you want. Is that the technical? And, then, and, and you got the technical term? Plowed. 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 I think yeah. inebriated. Or, yeah, destructified. Yes. So, uh, I like to call it high school drunk. And then, and right, then right. You, right, right. That's why then, I can't drink rum, but I'm learning that I actually do like it. Four and, a, I don't have four and a half hours later, you find yourself in a peach orchard somewhere, just <laughs> climbing Stuck a in a tree. Well, and I think, I think the uh, connection of why... It's all part of that whole local movement, and, and it follows. It's kind of following the timeline, just a little bit delayed of, of the wineries and the breweries. Is that it? It not it creates this whole tourism aspect. People, the the reason why all the spirit industry, the beer industry, and the wine industry have been so successful on a local level, and I would say even move these are leading these local movements, is because. We all care way more about what we drink than the T-shirt we wear or the the. Uh, I would even say food products. People care about their booze, and so I think that's why. If you look at these local movements, why it's it's in my belief the spirits, wineries, and breweries are leading that idea is because people want to know 
and care about what they drink, where they, that might not be the case of, you know, your pair of sunglasses as much or your, uh, your shoes, but, you know. So I think it's got to start somewhere, so booze is a good catalyst. But, uh, so, so just to play a bit of, bit of the uh, devil's advocate, um, one of our co-hosts, Vanessa, shot me a question right before I came over here, which is she sees as an added challenge for the craft spirit industry versus the craft beer industry where there's a larger price difference between, say, you know, the Coors and the craft beer and, say, you know, as she put it, uh, buff- a Buffalo Trace and mm-hmm. Stranahan's. And is it, you know, is it, is it harder to convince people to pay more for, considerably more, for, for the craftsmanship that you guys are doing here yeah. in other places than, I, say, you know, I, I don't think beer. that's a fair analogy either because... Um, the difference between Coors Light and a six-pack of Coors Light and a, and a Pilsner is 2 or $3. And the difference between, like, uh, I don't know, Absolute Vodka and a Goat Vodka is, is still, it's only like 5 or $6. It's not a huge gap. Okay. I think that's comparing apples to apples. I think comparing, it's like comparing a six-pack, comparing Stranahan's to, you know, Buffalo Traces. They're very different products. One's a premium whiskey Whereas it's like comparing a single bottle of, I mean, of, you know, a 12% imperial stout that I've paid 20 bucks for a bottle versus a six-pack of Pilsner. So, I, I mean, I think you got to get apples to apples kind of comparison. But I think if people really looked at like products to like products, um, they're not that drastic. The whiskey is a little more drastic than the rest of the booze. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the whiskey's what a lot of people think of when it comes to mind. But That's what people assume. Yeah. yeah and, but, I mean, if you look at a lot of the other products, I, I think they're far more reasonably priced than a lot of people would, 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 would think right off the top of their heads. Right. Well, and I think the craft spirits industry is not going after the guy who buys two handles of plastic, you know, plastic <laughs> booze to take home and drink a bed or whatever. Like, they're going after the people who already drink the, the fine scotch and, and, and the... The crazy expensive whiskeys that you that you get from from Kentucky and Tennessee and whatever, and uh, so. But you know, if you look at the craft beer industry, they just announced numbers yesterday. The Brewers Association it's up double digits in this last quarter. Uh, I don't, you know, Budweiser, Coors, and, and all of the associated sort of larger brands, they're losing market share. Like we, we're not gaining craft beers and gaining market share because. The, the domestic beers are gaining. We're, we're cannibalizing some of that market. And so, and I think that the, the hard thing to think about is that this spirit, you know, spirits, craft spirits is in the 80s. Like, I don't know what people drank in the 80s. I was like in my, it was like, I was like five or something. I don't know. I was a kid. And, but I remember when Fat Tire got big, you know, and I, and I went to college out east and people would say, oh, can you bring me some Fat Tire, you know, and they even had like the emphasis on the wrong word, you know, and I just was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, so I would bring Fat Tire back. And I mean, that's what really is credited with the explosion. And I think that, you know, in, in 30 years, I think this will be a, it'll be a funny question. I'll go, I'll make sure to put a note in my calendar to listen to this in 30 years. Yes. And we can have some laughs if I'm still kicking and, and like, and like whatever. But I, I think that. I mean, I think that Chris's, you know, idea about people care about what they drink is really interesting, you know, because you got Miller Lite drinkers. And, and if you say, well, we got Bud Light, they say, well, I won't. I'll have something else, you know. And, and I think that, you know, there even on the lowest level, there are people who are interested in, in what the different flavors are. Yeah. Um, 
people people basically define themselves on with what they identify with, and whether it's this low level, you know, right, right. It, it's an emotional thing too. I, I mean, alcohol marketing as a as a veteran in this industry is is about how you feel as much as how it tastes. Yeah. Well, you know, same we, thing Josh was saying though. Back to yeah, kind of the customer side, he was bringing up that that's not their target. <clears throat> to answer that question, I, I think that's true. They're not trying to sell, you know. The, I mean, what the Peach Street whiskey, the bourbon is, I think it's like $45 a bottle. You're not trying to sell it to a 22-year-old kid. They just don't appreciate it. I, didn't, I wouldn't have appreciated it when I was 22. I was an idiot. And, uh, and even younger. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, me you so I think... drank underage? It's just like the Rackhouse Pub versus, I don't know, Lodos. You know, my, their customer base is 21 to 28. My customer base is 28 to 40. You know, it's, it's, it's a different price point. It's a different market. You have different priorities. And I think craft spirits in general, craft wines, craft booze, craft beer, is all... It's, it's made for somebody who not only... Who appreciates it. And, and I'm not saying that that's the steadfast rule. There are... My, the, the generation right behind us cares more lot right behind me you know they they've been drinking that's what they've been drinking all their life you know growing up even me and i'm not i don't think i'm old i'm only 32 but uh my parents drank budweiser michelob all that stuff they we didn't have you know they weren't in the 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 fat tire yet and but now everybody's who's 20 who's turning 21 now that's what their parents drank so it's kind of like you drink what your grandfather yeah. drinks kind of thing. Well, right. your grandfather drank <clears throat> Fat Tire, and your grandfather drank Rob's Mountain Gin, and your grandfather's now going to drink Stranahan's. Yeah. And so as you get older, it's just the stuff being around and being there, then it, it becomes part of the fabric of what people make as choices. Let's talk briefly about the Rock House, uh, how, it, you know, how it came about, how it fits into Stranahan's. The, well, how it came about is funny. Um, I was actually, I grew up in Carbondale up in the mountains, just outside of Aspen, about 20 miles down the road, and uh, I had uh, just finished, left it's a weird, the... weird little place you grew up in there, my friend. Yes. Uh, it's a funny town. Carbondelet, we like to call it. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool. It's French, you know? Um, not a big deal. But uh, I just left the brewery, and me and my wife were living with her parents in their basement, trying to figure out, we had moved across the country to Maryland and back twice in a year, and just trying to figure out what we were going to do. And me and my friend were looking at buying this old, this bar that has uh, used to be called the Black Nugget, then it's changed hands, and now it's the Black Nugget again. But it's been there forever. The Black Nugget. The Black Nugget. It, well, it used to, Carbondale <laughs> used to be a mining town back in, back oh, yeah. in the day. And, uh, and it didn't work out. And uh, um, Jess, who was the founder of the distillery, kind of caught wind. And I was originally going to be... A, this is kind of how incestuous it all was. Uh, my original partner was going to be the old president and CEO of Flying Dog Brewery, who we met Jess when the buildings were located next to each other. And when he built this building, he had a restaurant space he wanted nothing to do with, which I don't blame him. Restaurants <laughs> are tough. And, uh, and so, you know, he kind of offered us the opportunity to take over the space. And I, if, I don't know if you noticed driving here. Uh, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it's, I, a, it's a it's a funky spot. It's got a lot of traffic, you know, yeah. a lot of major roads, and it's sure. neck close to everything. But there's it's all industrial. There's no residential. There's no walking traffic. 
the uh, I like to tell people it's the place you daydream about while you're yeah. stuck in traffic on Santa Fe. You're like, oh God, yeah. I wish I could didn't have. We actually go home did that right once now. when there, there was a ton oh. of traffic when they were fixing the that Calamath. I made Chris. I'm the marketing guy here. I made Chris send out little bags of mac and cheese. Yeah, we sent out. Oh my god! We were stuck in traffic just to but, like brighten their day slightly. I, I tell people we're easy to get to and hard to find. But uh, what made the whole concept work was I never would have even thought of opening this spot just as a restaurant. But I knew Stranahan's. I knew the following they had. I knew the track record they had. I knew Jess um, really well from working next to a door to him for years for Flying Dog, and so. I just thought the opportunity to partner with the distillery was was a great one and, and could be really successful. And so we basically kind of built the rack house to fit what Stranahan's represented, which was local, Colorado, you know, booze, food, you know, et cetera. And so, you know, that's why we have all the barrels all over the walls. That's why we feature a ton of local beer and a ton of, you know, Colorado-made spirits. And it's done well. You guys have done well. Yeah, we've done all right. Yeah. I, I got nothing to complain about. Yeah. I mean, and so so you aren't so you aren't you are the right person to be throwing this question to, but I'm going to throw it to you anyways. Okay. Which is, as you know, you know when when the big news came, how Stranahan's was kind of moving to like a larger ownership. Everyone said, "Oh, you know, is Stranahan's you know selling out? Is it still uh, going to be this selling local? Selling out? You know, is it still going to be this local <laughs> kind of?" kind of pride that Don is corporate those uh, bastards well uh, yeah that's actually ron everyone that's that's just me i've always well, i've got a real said, man on the street that's actually just ron i've always said you know people who hate sellouts are the people who didn't get to sell out <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, snap. No, snap. But, um you know jess signed the paperwork to sell the distillery the day before his 60th birthday he had done construction work his entire life the dude was retired on it. His kids' college is paid for. You know, I don't. I don't. What it did was it. It just. It just kind of changed the relationship a little. You know, we. It went from a. a we still have a very good relationship as far as you know working together in the same building, but it went from a very personal one because I. Flying dog was the first job I had of college. Jess was there from day one. Like I grew up, kind of as an adult knowing Jess, and so. I was really pers- personally and emotionally kind of vested in his success and the, the business success because I wanted to see him success yeah. succeed. When they sold, it, it changed that dynamic for me personally a little bit as, as it went, you know, became more of a business relationship and less of a personal relationship. But, you know, as far as the growth of the distillery, Proximo has been able to achieve what it would have taken Jess a lot of years to achieve. Just being a, a, a larger company they have access to capital to grow the brand that he never i mean it would have taken him you know decades and I, I i don't quote me on this i don't know jess's all his I, I don't i don't do his taxes but at the same hand i know i, I it would have taken him 10 uh, 15 years i think just yeah. to grow it into what they've already been able to swoop down and throw it into production <laughs> and as he kind of told me he's like I have taken this as far as I can take it. Now I need to give it to somebody that has a little more access to capital and 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 experience in growing a brand from from where I I took it to to the growth I've had it, and now I'm going to give it to somebody else that can take it to I don't know national, international. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be large, knowing what Proximo, some of their other business 
uh, interests that they have at their. At well, it's kind of the goal of any any successful startup is to sell to somebody larger is, than is yourself. Is that the goal, though? I, oh, well, I, okay. Yeah. I, I completely disagree with this. Okay. All right. Uh, so there are, are breweries in this world and distillers in this world, and their goal is, what do we used to call it? World beer dominance, right? Yeah. Global beer dominance. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, Global you got to be number one. Market. But, like, do you have to really be number one? Can't you just carve your niche and be excited about that? And mm-hmm. I think that that's the beauty of these distilleries popping up. You know, these guys, they just want to sell some booze. And have, you know, people who come to visit Crested Butte and go to Montana, they make a rum that's that's barrel-aged. Oh. And it's legitimately oh, amazing. And their space is incredible. So well, and I don't think, you know, though, that because the ownership changed, I don't know that the spirit of that has to change. Because the people that still make it, right. are, you spent a lot of time with Rob today. He's still Is very, it all still based here in Colorado? All the employees are still here. Every drop yeah. is still made here. They start from if, grain. Go spend I mean, some it's, time it's with incredible. Rob Dietrich, the head, the head distiller. I think Josh can just say from the hour they spent today, Rob's still very personally interested. He has a lot of personal yeah. interest in the quality and the, the, the distribution and the whole thing going on. I mean... The people that write the checks are different, but I mean, the people that make it are still Denver people, and they're still their heart's still in it. You know, but Rob has uh, distilled ninety-seven straight batches of straight mix. We we're going to ponder this issue while we drink more of our samples of yeah. Uh, yeah. spirits. So, so what is next? So this is the downslope distilling old Tom gin, and downslope is uh, this is more gin. Yeah. So so they're. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry. Are you drunk? No, I was. Uh, I was uh, okay. sniffing. I was whiffing. There's no, he was, he was, no shame. He was, mm. he was wafting. So, so Downslope is a distiller. They were the first place I visited on my distiller's trip. Uh, they're down in Centennial, I believe, just <clears> off Arapahoe near Parker. and They're one of the older players in the game, and they make whiskeys, and the, but they also do some amazing gins. And so this is uh, Old Tom Gin, which has honey. Oh yeah, you can taste, right. you can yeah. taste honey. And so, uh, and that's one of that. There's like the rule for old Tom Gin has to have a certain amount of honey, and obviously that's, it's um, it's lovely. It's on the sweet side. While obviously. we while we kind of enjoy old Toms, um, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Illegal Pete's. Go get me a burrito after this podcast. Oh, <laughs> have, yes, they they do have lovely burritos. They are my burrito restaurant of choice. Also from Illegal Pete's, a greater than collective. Here's this week's musical break as we sip some more gin and whiskey. It's uh, kind of a whiskey soaked number. Us by a Tom Collins. So here you go. We are the ones who go bump in the night We are poets and prophets We are children of light We are drunk and we're strong Maybe we're happy We are your sinners We are your saints Our religion is love And our sacraments That was a Tom Collins with us. Uh, sorry, we've had about seventeen Isn't more samples. Isn't it cool how every every a Tom's a Tom's Collins song sounds? He sounds so intoxicated. Which is exactly why we chose a Tom Collins, right? It's for so perfect because it just fits in. It has that I've been drinking whiskey vibe. The one question that that came to me in the seventeen samples we've had 
since, uh, <laughs> well, you guys were listening to Abe Tom Collins, was, I mean, are we starting to see, or could we see the type of allowance to encourage a type of homebrewing that we see with craft uh, beer, with craft spirits well, here in Colorado? Currently, the <clears throat> United States laws are that you cannot home distill. Does that oh. mean that, uh, do you speed in your car? I, I know you do. I've seen it. <laughs> I just made that up. You pointed um, to me on that one. Yeah. Um, I do. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think Not that a lot speak. of people are distilling mm-hmm. at home. I think that uh, out of the 1,006 distilleries that are in this country currently <clears throat> permitted, I would think that probably a very large majority did start maybe uh, in their bathtub. But at, we're not going to see this sort of like tax allowances that we see or whatnot with. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> there are companies that sell stills for, and this is in the air quotes that, that were big in the 90s, uh, Display essential purposes. oils, you know. Display or, purposes. Right. right. Uh, it's like the uh, giant tomato growing stores that we now see all around Right. right. I, I may or may not have seen a, a, a weed vaporizer that was out there uh, on the market that said this is for vaporizing hops, which I've always wanted to try, by the way, because it be would be interesting. Um, so from a legal perspective, <laughs> you know, it, it is it not, doesn't happen. not necessarily legal. So what, but, you what, know, what's, the, what's the reason? Because Just because it's more dangerous to do distillation? Yeah, yeah, I think I, you can blow your house up. I, I think you know. that's going to be the ultimate, uh, the ultimate hurdle for home distilling versus home brewing or home winemaking is, is the the flammable element in the public safety issue is that, uh, you know, when you're working with heat and then subsequently putting out a product that is heated and is also flammable, flammable. there becomes all sorts of, of, of issues on how do you, how do you, how do you make sure everybody's properly versed not to blow up their neighbor? It's worth, it's worth noting that our co-host Jared wanted to know when can he get his home distillery? Going. I, I, I think it's his, a very long time before gym. you see. It, but, for but, me personally, it feels very meth labby. Before and I, you see, I'd rather let somebody else do it. I, I just don't think it's going to be able to pass the public safety test. I think it will. Oh, and and to be honest, I, I I'm not sure that it should. You know, it's just there's a lot more that can go wrong when you're working with that high proof of, <clears throat> of, of spirits, ethanol. You know. Um, even further, but you know, then there's the whole. They're saying, like they say, you, you can't make your own ethanol because it's the gas companies that want to keep you from being able to do that because they don't want you to be able to run your own motorcycle on uh, on house made gas. But uh, so, but I don't know. I just I don't know. Maybe there's a a, a like a, a gun permit sort of. Uh, uh, a process that they need. They'll, Let's they'll get the conservatives on this. They'll 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 fight well, for it. Uh, that's what I would say. I'd say I think you can make it. Oh, yeah, you, this you, is a libertarian issue. So right let's here. bring Carlos Springs <laughs> back in the mix here. But you have yeah. to uh, push uh, him out for a while. Let's bring him back. Just like you have to have a driver's test to uh, drive a car. Just like you have to have a learn uh, or, or permit okay. to own a firearm. Uh, there Maybe go. there's a sanction <laughs> test you need to go yeah. through before you distill. You which know, is which you, basically you pass or fail depending on whether or not you let yourself on fire. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you know, considering how many friends I have that brew their own beer at home, that's really, really bad. I think there should be some sort of a certification process for my own sake, well, and then because so I don't have to taste their special Christmas beer. Can be that's pilots garbage. and boat captains, and they you have to take tests, and they're pass they're pass fail, and it's like ninety percent. You know, run it like that. If you want a home distill, 
you have to put this work in. You have to do these hours. You have to do it. And then, and then I don't. I, I think you can overcome that public safety hurdle. But you know, I'm sure lots of people disagree with me on that. Before cool. this podcast goes, I'm going to definitely submit a change.org petition for this exact. There we thing. go. <laughs> so if you're interested. Go sign Go the ahead petition. and sign the petition, and if you get, I don't know, twenty five thousand signatures, they have to look at it. So, we are the we change, Josh. We are yeah, the change yeah, for sure. Um, we can do it. By the way, I I forgot to say we've uh, we moved on from sampling to we're drinking straight what, cocktails now. now what we're just is, drinking. What is, what is, is just this? drinking? Yeah. What, so what are, what are we? What are, here? I like they're just booze like, being handed to us. We're just so drinking on here. on festival organizer Rachel's suggestion. Thank you, Rachel. Who is Thank you, Rachel. At us over. She's like our. Uh, Network sensor, I think, <laughs> just to make sure that we say very inappropriate. Things. She's, she she does. She's, she's like the worst sensor. It's like the opposite. She of has a, a sensor, big black. That she is. has a big black marker, and she she hits them with the marker every time <laughs> they say something they shouldn't. Right, right. Anything nice, she's like, you can't say that. So, th- so this is called the last word. It's one of the Rackhouse signature cocktails. It's got Leopold's small batch American gin. Uh, it's got some maraschino liqueur, fresh lime, and green chartreuse, uh, and it's. It's been on our menu, I don't know, a few months, and it's, uh, as we had talked about maybe cocktails being a little bit too sweet, Rachel said, don't do that. You can't have that. That's too sweet. And so she <laughs> said, try this one. So uh, so this is, uh, I think, a, a lighter cocktail. I, I like, I think the lime comes through really it's well. Limey. Yeah. It's limey. very limey. It's nice. It's a good summer drink. So I want to talk festival. For yeah, a let's talk about the festival. Is, Since we can't distill at home. Yeah, we might as well all f- come to the Rack House on <clears throat> September that's September eighth from one to five p.m. There it's we a Sunday. Josh just just proved his worth right there by being able to say that. I've so, said it a million so we times, so yeah. okay. It's a it, it's a third one. Uh, Chris, you you started this. Why? I did. Well, much like you know, putting the Rackhouse Pub in the distillery. Um, I just I feel like doing. It's always been my thoughts that. You know, when you have a business, when you can be a part of a community and uh, actually give consumers an experience rather than just a, a simple interaction, it's always going to uh, benefit not only the consumer but the business. And so, you know, I looked at what we do here with, with all the local spirits and stuff, and I thought it would just be – there was no Colorado Distillers Festivals at the time. They were inviting some of the new distillers to – uh, other events, food and wine events, et cetera, et cetera, to kind of be participants. But there was no event that just featured the distillers in the state of Colorado or many states after when I was doing my research that I could find. And so I just thought it was a cool opportunity and opening to kind of create what is already created for so many other facets of, of, of the liquor industry, you know, beer, wine, you know, food events that, that, that the distillers deserve their own thing. And, um, so, I mean, partnering with the Guild was obviously natural uh, kind of after that, you know. And uh, it's actually it's one of the largest fundraisers that the Guild has annually. And I, you know, I know it's only our third year, but uh, I think the first two years it was the largest donation that the Guild received. I'd have to double-check with Rob, and I don't want to... It definitely was don't last year. toot my own horn too much, but um, at the same time, I just... I thought there should be a forum for it, and yeah. I thought that it would give great people a great opportunity to come and, and, and meet the people that make their booze, and I thought it would give me a great opportunity to meet the people that make the booze that I serve and my staff, and um, so so far it's been really so great. What, so what does it look like? Um, it, it, 
there's about 20... We have 26 right 26 now. this year. We had... 26 different distillers. 17 last year. We had, I think, 12 year one. But uh, we, they each have a booth, and they bring however many of their lineup that they feel like it. We actually don't put restrictions on the distillers. They're allowed to bring... If they want to bring 12 of their products, they can bring 12 of their products. Um, we ask them all to create, bring a signature cocktail, and then we actually have voting, too, that the, uh, the, the winner of the signature cocktail vote gets on the, uh, gets on the menu from, uh, for, for the Rackhouse Pub for the next, uh, a large portion of the next year. I think uh, Dancing Pines had a great cocktail that they won with last year, um, their, their bourbon. And so, um, Which we have sitting here on the tray. Josh is dying to sample more. As a skilled marketer, I think it's only my job. So, to. so this is Dancing Pines bourbon. Bourbon. Dancing Pines is a distillery that will be at the festival this year. Do you see how year. my microphone movement is getting worse, <laughs> worse and worse right. as time's go, time We're goes on? We're going to get a special sloppy, sound effect. Sloppy microphone I am getting movement. sloppier. So Dancing Pines is a, a distillery that's going to be uh, with us on the 8th. Uh, they are a distillery from... Loveland, just up the street from Spring 44, where, where Rob Masters, of the, the head of the Distillers Guild, is. His, that's where his distillery is. And I'm going to go up there and visit uh, and, uh, in a couple of weeks. And we're gonna, I'm going to take Rob to Dancing Pines. I'm going to take Christian from Dancing Pines, and I'm taking him to Spring 44. So, so. so, this, so this was uh, the, the one that won the People's Choice cocktail. No, this is just the bourbon. It's okay. the bourbon. The bourbon made. Made. So bourbon. what was the cocktail that this was made? Uh, yeah, bourbon sour. It was. They had their own mix that they had put together. It's fresh shower mix. It was really, really good. <laughs> so what? So what makes like a winning cocktail? You say at these events? Um, yeah. Is well, it? Is it? Is it uh, like a panel of judges, or is it by vote it's, it's from by the vote. from Every, folks you know, that show up? We have a box. It's. It's. Yeah. It's. It's. Uh, and have you found that people? Agree with your thought that it shouldn't be too sugary. Be that, that it should kind of or do the sweet the do the sweeties win. Like the Everybody uh, has their own opinion on what constitutes a good cocktail. Just like they have their their own favorite, whether they like whiskey, vodka, gin, rum, etc. But um, what makes a good cocktail, in my opinion, is for one a, a skilled creator. Um, but outside of that, too, it's it's using using ingredients that are actually you know alive and not jarred um lime juice coming out of a lime is much better than lime juice coming out of a can or a jar um sweet and sour mix from a gun is way worse than actually making sweet and sour mix um so you know much like food is a great analogy you know better ingredients fresh ingredients create better food Cocktails are the same way. Better ingredients, fresh ingredients create better cocktails. Whether you're, it's the herbs you're using, the fruit you're using, or the you know the, the the liquor itself, you know the better made liquor that it is, typically the better made cocktail. If, of course, combined by somebody who knows what they're doing uh, uh, with all those other things, you know, uh, is is usually what produces a winner. Right. Last year we even had uh, I think it was Peach Street Distillers. They brought uh, Sweet Action Ice Cream. And we're doing some sort of a float with it that was Ooh, that'd be whiskey float. It was legit. So, how so. should folks get here to the festival? Take the train, please, <laughs> the train. please, please. Cab, train, or cab, or bike. Uber. Uh, Uber Denver is one of our sponsors as well. I feel like a jerk for not mentioning them first. Uh, they'll be. I offering, set you up there, Josh. Yeah, no, I am the horrible person. It's okay. um, 
they yeah, partnered, so, they partnered with us last yeah, year and gave so, uh, so did Uber, vouchers at the door for first time Uber users and which basically equated to a free cab ride. Right. And I, I love Uber. Um, I generally am I'm not really a drunk, so I don't have to take it too much. But I love. I mean. The fact that you can use this. So app. there are there are many many options besides driving yeah, yeah. down I twenty five. Four tenths of one mile from the Alameda Light Rail Station. If you just go west, so four blocks. That would be four blocks, but there are actually is only one blocks because there's nothing between <laughs> Cherokee and Santa Fe. Yeah, uh, it, it's about an eight to ten minute walk. Uh, if you're even maybe more slackerly than that, you can get on the number three bus, which is the Alameda bus. There's a stop right between Santa Fe. That and would Calumet. be so much work. The Alameda bus is a lot of fun. I do it's recommend not, it. Yeah, it's not the 15 or anything, but it's, it's not bad. And <laughs> I, I do want to make the point of letting everybody know, although the festival is on a Sunday, the Broncos do not play. Yeah, yeah. The Broncos right. play Smart. Thursday night Thank you. before that. So. Um, I don't know if I Critical. would go to my own festival if it conflicted with the Broncos. Well, we are supposed to be upselling this. We have football. <laughs> I mean, we have the football package, right? We do. So we'll have some football games on. If your favorite team is there, Like you can tweet us at CODistFest, and we'll do our best to get that game on. Even though booze is way awesomer than the first game of the football Don't season. Don't wear any of your crappy so, other team jerseys so to my bar. So of, of all these 26, 26 dis- different distilleries, what sort of – are there any trends that are happening in Colorado booze that are different, say, from the rest of the country? Or are there any trends just in general in the world of distillers that we should – that folks should be looking for? I mean, the, the barrel-aged gin – I, I would. I'm now going to be looking for that because it's I would so say different. I would say barrel aging is is totally the new mm-hmm. thing. Um, well, and I don't think just barrel aging makes it sound pretty simple, but I think uh, the the trend is to take kind of traditional stuff, whether uh-huh. traditional vodkas, gins, and then do do some sort of barrel aging process, whether it's barrel aging and adding fruit, or just barrel aging in its own right, or trying different different alcohols and different barrels, you know, aging vodkas in, in old, you know, wine barrels or something of that. That's really the nature is taking traditional drinks and, and doing something creative to really kind of create this whole new spirit, you know? Right. And the more I've been going around, I've, I've visited uh, 18 distilleries in the last five weeks. I'm going to hit another 10 or 12 in the next five weeks until the festival And starts. where can people read about this, Josh? Oh, so I am writing on the internet about it, like m- many other people, but if you go to Colorado Distillery... I'm like your layup man, by where the way. Is, where yeah, can yeah. we find this internet you yeah, speak yeah. of? Yeah, so if you buy a computer... <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. That's a good start. So if you go to coloradodistillersfestival.com... Call Quest. Uh, there is a, a link on the top called uh, Colorado Distillery Road Trip, I think. And you can click on it, as you might be able to on the, in the internet, and it's got a list of all the blog entries. I'm writing a little bit about everything that we've done. Uh, my friend and I, we did uh, 12 distilleries in seven days. We did a road trip. We did 1,300 miles. It was amazing. Um, one of the things I You didn't get arrested, which is amazing. Right. Yeah, yeah. No drunk I mean, driving. I, I, can, I can smell your liver from here. Well, all I'm my friends were day. like, your liver must really hurt. I'm like, no, I can just have a very small amount and be okay. That's, yeah. that's I did that's buy a ridiculous amount of booze, though, at every place. I was just, like, bringing bottles home. And a friend of ours, uh, we stayed with them in Durango, and they left for one day. And, and they were like, can you eat our the watermelon we have in the fridge? I said, how can two guys eat a whole freaking watermelon? So we took a bottle of Mancus Valley Distilling Rum cut a little hole in it, pulled the plug out, and just jammed the bottle of rum in there, left it for like 14 hours, and half the bottle went in, and 
<laughs> you know, we uh, like and like talk we, about talk about high school drunk. That's like a, yeah, that's a high it was school awesome. Escapade. It was awesome because like we had the rum. I had two bottles, uh, so I could Josh, sacrifice one. Josh came back from his uh, road trip and brought me the uh, best present ever, which was uh, he found in this uh, thrift store this like nineteen. 19- 80s traveling booze salesman 60s, bartender kit it was it, it's old school it's oh got God. a hard case and you open it up and it has all like the tools and then on the other side it's got a bottle so he filled all the bottles with like different booze from his road trip that That's you awesome. can't get here i yeah. mean that was a whole like the only way you can get mancus valley distilling rum is by driving to mancus and the only way you can find the distillery is by calling him on the phone because it doesn't make a lot of sense you gotta like walk down an alley and so you can, so you can read about all your so you can read about all your adventures <clears throat> at ColoradoDistillersFestival.com. Yeah, which is, which is the you, same or you place. can find Mencas by coming to the festival. They yes, might be. Yes. I, you know, I just you called Ian this afternoon. Um, I'm trying to get him to come. Okay, we'll see. Okay. And so you can also buy your tickets as you should right now, listeners, to the Colorado yeah. Festival. Also through the worldwide interwebs. ColoradoDistillersFestival.com has all the information you need. It's got a list of participants. And if you buy it right now online, it's $45 as opposed to $50 at the door. That's correct. $50 at the door. So right now, pause the podcast. Go buy your tickets. Joel? Yes. I want to commend you on doing your homework. I'm trying. That's I'm nice. Trying. I'm trying. That's nice. Research. That shows me I built the um, right website. So uh, our plate of samples and cocktails is sadly empty. So we're going to unfortunately have to move on to a little love and hate, which is where we go around <laughs> and we love or hate on something based uh, here in Denver or Colorado. What Ron? If I, what if I hate everything? That's fine. That's you fine. Okay. You can hate, and this is where you can get rowdy. Um, I'm going to love on... It's not a Colorado product, but I'm going to love on it anyway because it serves us well. Nextdoor.com. It's the new social network that is neighborhood-based. So you can go on nextdoor.com, you join, and it will connect you directly to people in your specific neighborhood. Like so, singles? And it's not No, no, it's not It's not like <laughs> singles. I mean, uh, it's, it's just people in your neighborhood. So, you know, if you join the, the Highland neighborhood group, then you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff about strollers. And uh, and about expensive food. If you join mine, wow! I like that was just a, an attack on me right there. Thank you. Hey, join attack on both of us. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I'll 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 diss on my own. If, if you if you join mine, it'll be a lot of folks asking where can I find a babysitter. So that sort of thing. No, but it, it's it's interesting. And I'm also going to love on Colorado Day, which by the time this podcast comes out will already be over August first. But uh, I'm going to love on it because hooray for Colorado. Colorado. I'm going to go bikepacking on the Colorado Trail on Colorado Day, and I might take a bath in green chili. Don't you have to hate something, too? Isn't it love? No, you don't have to hate. Chris, you hate hate right now. Sure you do. Yeah, hate. You can't just – I think think every person has to love something and hate. Okay, all right, fine. I can can hate. I think that's a cop out. Chris has just taken over the Denver Diatribe. Without hate, how would you Do you want me to hate? I can – Oh, I've got – I have hate in my soul. I can do this for – for the Canada goose. So I've talked about... <laughs> let, the, let the hate flow through I've you. I've talked about the fucking geese before on this podcast. And right now, I, I'm, me and my wife, we're, we're the leaders of this brand new community garden uh, in our neighborhood. And it's going great. And yesterday, some fucking Canada geese came through and attacked all the new plants <laughs> and just tore the place to shit. 
shat all over everything. There's like feathers, goose down, and poop all over the place, and all the plants are dead. So fuck geese. Fuck geese. Wait, then how come you can put cow shit all over everything and it grows? Well, no, the geese poop is good, but not when they eat all the plants that are helping, that this, are being helped by the This also the sounds poop. like an attack on Canada. Yeah. Yeah, blame Canada. Yeah. I'm blaming Canada. Ron's racist. Anyways, Chris, go on. I am going to love... Um, actually, let's do a couple of my uh, favorite charities here in Denver. Um, because, for one, I'm going to film on the rocks tomorrow. Uh, yeah. the, big, the Big Lebowski, my favorite movie of all time. And uh, it's put on by the Denver Film Society, denverfilm.org. So check them out. We uh, always Every year we host the uh, VIP party bus that takes about 150 people up to Red Rock safely and delivers them back here safely. Um, for for uh, the Denver Film Society, we donate food and a partner with New Belgium who also donates the beer for the ticket price. And then also uh, um, the uh, Santa Fe Art District which the Rackhouse Pub's a member of, and we partner with them to uh, do a film sh- uh, a shuttle that runs people throughout the district during uh, First Friday so they can check out all the galleries and uh, go, go see the events up and all, all, the, all the local art up and down uh, Santa Fe. And uh, aren't you going to hate on something? Yeah, aren't you, oh, aren't you yeah. I was just hate? I was just sugaring it up for the hate Chris, time. Chris, okay. aren't you going to hate something? Okay, something happened to me last weekend, and uh, <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> A uh, Local media outlet uh, had a, I don't know, I, I don't even want to use the word reporter, but individual <laughs> that came into the Rackhouse Pub claiming he was doing a story, a dining out story on the Rackhouse Pub, yet this individual forgot to bring his ID with him to do a story about drinking and eating at a local bar and uh, proceeded to give me a uh, I, I almost cuss. That's how fired up I get when I. You can cuss. You can cuss. This, uh, this is to the give internet. me a twenty-minute lecture FCC on CCB damned. To give me a twenty-minute lecture on how he was clearly over thirty or clearly of drinking age, which he was, and how I should serve him and change my rules that I have to all my staff. And so, I hate people that come in or are entitled and and do irresponsible things like go to do journalism on drinking and don't bring in a goddamn ID. And then blame the, the 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 owner of the establishment like it's their fault. It's like trying to go to Joel, team. It's Joel like trying and I to go. Just pulled up our pulled out our IDs. We're <laughs> sorry, sir. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like trying to go fly and not having an ID for the TSA guy and trying to chew the TSA person's ass because you couldn't get on the plane. It's like a requirement of the purchase. And the guy's fifty six. He's been drinking for. 25 years. He should know he needs a goddamn ID. We did anyway. offer him a full body cavity search, which he turned and, down. Oh, so. no, we did. All, I, I, just like I do to everybody who doesn't bring their ideas. I'm sorry I can't serve you this time. Gave him a free complimentary draft beer coupon for the next time he comes in with his ID. And he still was indignant about it. I... I've never been so close to punching a customer in the face as I was that night. That was a much more measured response than I had. Chris called me on the phone. It was a Friday evening, and I was uh, drinking, actually, at the Rooster and Moon, which is my favorite bar slash coffee shop slash awesome place. And uh, I told him, I said, well, did you get the guy's name? He said, yeah. I said, well, let's make a bunch of business cards with this guy's name and job title on it. And then go be douches all over town and say, do you know who I am? And then slap his business card down. Perfect. Perfect. Anyway, that's, that's what that I That was some good hate. That was some good yeah, hate. That was nice. That was nice. Can walk that was I, nice. I love I that feel, hate. I feel just, good. Yeah. Let the hate flow through you. I yeah. have some hate that merges into love. So I have some hate too, which is kind of rare for me. I'm going to hate 
on uh, my health insurance company. I have individual health insurance because I am a freelancer. And for the second time this year, they have raised my uh, rate. Oh, bastards. You know, and they, you know, and they can, and it's they just can, because, and too. they can do that. Like, oh, yes, because there's <laughs> more need for this, blah, blah, blah. And here's your new rate, which is horrible. But I'm going to love on the fact that they're doing this because they are scared. They are scared and frightened, and they know what's coming this coming October, which is Connect for Health Colorado, which is the new online marketplace where I can go find a new insurance company that won't be asking about pre-existing conditions or whether I smoke or not, which I don't, and I'll be able to shirk my insurance company once and for all. So bring on the socialism. That's write- that's when that's when Joel and I will be holding the very the first annual uh, freelancer health insurance festival, where you will be able to <laughs> wow. sample from yeah. all the different health we'll insurances. Be, we'll be you can get flu shots from all of them. Yeah, at the yeah same it'd be amazing. Time. And see, see which one does the best. <laughs> see which yeah, one we'll hurts be the, the least for you guys. If you want, I yes. think we need like one booth worth it's to great. start. So. <laughs> Josh. Yeah, well, love before I get hate. into love and hate, um, if you're hating on uh, health insurance, there's always booze to fall back on. So you can always remember <laughs> there's, that, there's that always booze, booze is your friend. <laughs> drink it uh, off. It's okay to drink it away, but not too much. Uh, so my, does that does that wait? Does that actually count towards your health savings account? I don't think that you can buy booze <laughs> with your <laughs> HSA card. But a, a buddy of mine, Jerry Foth, who. Uh, I maybe now I'm getting him in trouble. Uh, I've been told on good authority that uh, he may or may not have gotten really drunk one night and ordered a pizza with his HSA card. So I don't know. I like how you just named him. You just named yeah, him no, on the podcast. He'll love it. I'm going to tweet him and let him know. Uh, <laughs> Jerry's not on. My the grandmother <laughs> always gave blackberry brandy as as medicine. So I think yeah, it's perfectly yeah, no, fine. A mouthful. Yeah, no, mouthful. I've heard a spoonful. Just, a spoonful. just, just rub it on the to, wound. Yeah, the just gums. Rub right. it on the gums for teething. <laughs> for the teething. Yeah, that's I got a, I got a six week old. Uh, we she goes down like that. You know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> is, it the, is it the booze? <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's, yeah. So nice. my my love and hate is uh, is all connected. Uh, one of the things I hate is Chipotle. Uh, I am a Colorado native. Um, this is not was, just because I was born and raised, our sponsor. I was born and raised uh, in, in Denver. Um, I remember when there was one Chipotle in this world. On Evans. Evans and Gilpin. Uh, I remember the line out the door, and you would wait in that line for half an hour. I remember how amazing it was when the second one opened at 8th and Colorado, and I may or not may or may not have uh, once gone to a libertarian rally on the steps of the Capitol and maybe seen some sort of uh, smoke-filled apparatuses that I may or may not have partaken in and sat at that Chipotle for like three hours while we uh, became more able to drive. Uh, recently, able however, drive. Uh, their, their marketing has taken a turn for the worse. I get it that they are a very large corporation now. Very. Uh, they are terrible, terrible marketers. Uh, I, am, I am angry at everything from their social marketing response, which is snarky and condescending, to the fact that they faked a hack on their Twitter account and everyone thought they were just kind That's of... That's right. They were kind That's of douches. That's right. And uh, I may or may not have written an open letter to them on my blog, which is the apparently the second one I found out. Uh, Josh loves to yeah, write open letters. I do. I've written open letters to <laughs> corporations such as Chipotle, the Spicy Pickle, and, and others. Um, so, you as such... Do you want to do, to, to, to the uh, Denver Diet Drive? 
I may, in fact, do an open letter to you guys. That'd be awesome. Depends all on right. what we publish. What? What? what uh, yeah, what I mean, it depends if all that off the record after. stuff goes live. Or I'm going to wait until after this happens, and then, and then, yeah. Um, so uh, I don't go there anymore, and fr- frankly, I don't think I'll ever go there again. Wow. Yeah, because I'm a, a stubborn jerk, and no, this is how it works. A... So, so in that same vein, my love is, in fact, the Denver Diatribe sponsor, Illegal Pete's. Uh, they opened one down the street for me on Evans and High something. I don't race. Yes. And, yeah, uh, Evan, Evans and Ever high. since that opened, I've been to Chipotle <clears throat> once in like four years. Uh, they're awesome. And they in serve there. breakfast now. Illegal yeah, yeah, and, and booze. And they have booze. And booze. Um, Patio. Oh, yeah. the one on South Broadway has the the best. It's yeah. now one of Denver's best patios. We're actually so. organizing this, a pub crawl the between the Rack House, Illegal Pete's on Broadway, and a few other Broadway hipster establishments that um, will be filled in later. And uh, But I love Illegal Pete's. I think, in fact, having gone back to Chipotle now, I am completely not interested in what they're doing at all so you know what always pisses me off they won't you have to like go out of your way to get your burrito mixed that's how yeah, yeah. you, you gotta have to ask. you gotta and ask. then they look at you like right. oh and then they get out their uh, little plastic spoon who wants and a giant mouthful of sour cream honestly who, who? Uh, seriously i mean Rachel? willie nelson great willie nelson Rachel, Rachel fine, just raised her hand i'm sorry when when a man and a woman love each other very much <laughs> Okay, I'm going to stop it right here. <laughs> all right. That's all the love and hate and mouthfuls of sour cream we have for you this week, dear, dear listeners. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate or mouthfuls of sour cream with us, please do so at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Uh, I want a big, big, big thanks to both Josh and Chris having us here at the lovely Rack House talking about uh, Colorado Distillers Festival, which is once again, Josh. Hi, we're totally stoked to have you come to the Distillers Festival, and you get unlimited samples until you get drunk, and then we may cut you off. But When? Which is, which is on when? Oh, September 8th, Sunday, September 8th, and from you, 1 to 5 p.m., and you can <laughs> buy your tickets at coloradodistillersfestival.com. He just keeps giving you layups, and you just keep clanking them. Yeah, yeah. Here, I'm Michael Josh, Jordan. Josh, I've worked, worked so hard here. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Yeah. Okay, anyway, our theme music is by T.J. Miller from his extended play EP. Our web hosting is provided by BlueChannel.com. For more information about Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, DenverDiatribe.com. Search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. I am Joel Warner. On behalf of our co-hosts and guests, thanks for listening. I've never been very good at basketball. The birds at the words Denver High average income Roll like big spenders Affordable housing Good money lenders Low obesity No need for suspenders Check your calendar